Listen, find your sermon outline there in your bulletin, and let's open our Bibles to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7 today. We're in chapter 7. Page 1505 in that book rack Bible in front of you. Hopefully you've got a smartphone or a tablet or an iPad or something where you've got Scripture in front of you. We're going to dig deep into seven verses of this chapter today, and it's big stuff. Be careful how you judge. That's the theme. This text we're going to look at this morning is actually, I think, the most misunderstood and misquoted scripture in all of the New Testament. It's probably the favorite, or likely the favorite, of that skeptic that you sit next to in that cubicle at work, or on the bar train that you ride with every day, or maybe a neighbor in your neighborhood, or someone else in the context, classroom, experience that you're in, somewhere where there's a skeptic that just can't wait for you to make a statement about some issue of morality, some issue of sin that the Bible talks about, and as soon as you make your statement, whatever it is, about that sin, immediately there's this pouncing, and you hear something like this, hey, wait a minute, who are you to judge? Have you ever heard that before? And then they'll go on and they'll quote the scripture we're going to look at this morning. Didn't Jesus say, don't judge or you too will be judged? Leaves a lot of us kind of in our tracks. We're not quite sure how to respond to that. I mean, should Christians judge? Should we make judgments? Should we ever speak up and declare what the Bible says about any subject, be it moral or ethical? Do we have the right to speak up? Some of us think we should. Some of us think we shouldn't. I've known some people that are ready to get out and march and picket and petition everything they believe in, and there are others that think that's not the way to go and and just sort of stay in the background. If I were to personify these people, I would say on one side, you've got the Pollyannas of the Christian world who just want to have everybody get along and never want to raise an issue, never want to speak out against something. And then you've got, on the other hand, I consider consider that figure of uh, Samuel Norton uh, out of the Shawshank Redemption. Um, movie that was uh, popularized, I think, in the, in the late 80s or early 90s uh, with, with that prison warden that had sort of this piousness about him but went around looking for someone to just kind of grind into the ground based on the law or based upon what God's word had to say. And you might find yourself somewhere in the middle of that. The question is this morning, I'm asking you the question, where are we? Where should we be as Christ followers? And I believe this text is going to speak into that really powerfully today. So if your eyes are on the text, we're going to begin in verse 1 of Matthew 7. Follow along as I read. Jesus said, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Wow. That's an interesting text, isn't it? I think there are three things in here that are really important that we understand. And this is heavy stuff. And this is stuff for our culture and for all of us who name the name of Jesus today. So listen very carefully. 
I'm going to suggest to you the first big idea out of this text is actually that Jesus is not saying that all judgment or judging is wrong. It's right there in your outline. Jesus is not saying that all judging or judgment is wrong. Now, for those of us who name the name of Christ, there are some of us today that will have a problem with that. But I want to show you from this text that one thing that Jesus isn't saying is is that he isn't saying that all judgment is wrong. Well, I'll tell you what he is saying is wrong in just a minute, but before we get there, let me just consider a few things. First of all, how could Jesus have suggested that we actually help somebody with the speck in their eye if we didn't judge that there was a speck that actually needed to be removed? Or if you travel down further into verse 15 of Matthew 7, Jesus warns, he says, watch out for the false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So right there, right in this context, we have Jesus, it sounds pretty much like Jesus wants us to be discerning, wants us to have a a judging heart over those who say they are Christ followers and, and perhaps live a different life. I'm suggesting to you today that the Bible doesn't condemn the proper use of judgment. It actually commends the proper use of judgment. And we don't have much time to go really too much deeper into this, but I think it's important because some of you are suspicious right now because you're not sure what you think about a pastor who says that Jesus isn't saying that all judgment is wrong. But if you study your Bible, you know that there's lots of places in the Bible where there is clear judgment being made by God's people toward other people. For example, you think of the Apostle Paul when he came to Peter. Remember in Galatians chapter 2, and you maybe remember the historical context of this, Peter in the city of Antioch was hanging out with Gentile Christians, and when some Jewish Christians, those that were coming from the circumcision, came to visit Peter, Peter stopped meeting with the Gentile Christians and sort of played this hypocritical role. And a lot of the other Jewish people that were with uh, Peter were doing the same thing. And Paul, it says in Galatians 2.11, when Peter came to Antioch, Paul writes, he says, I opposed him to his face. Because he was clearly in the wrong. That sounds like judgment to me. He opposed Peter to to his face. Or Paul had to judge the attitudes of two ladies. You remember Eodia and Syntyche in the book of Philippians chapter 4. And these two ladies were not getting along. They were probably high schoolers. I don't know. It's just a guess. And and he he commissions Epaphroditus, probably one of the pastors at Philippi, to help these women get along together in the Lord. That sounds a little bit like judgment. Paul exhorted young Timothy to judge the character of those who would call themselves leaders in the church, that they would have the right character and the right lifestyle, that if they didn't meet the bar or the standard of leadership, that they were not to be considered as elders or leaders in the church. That sounds like a judgment. And of course, you can trace this through the Apostle John when he wrote to uh, his readers in, in 1 John chapter 4, where he says, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. In other words, don't believe everything you hear. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not is not from God and is the spirit of Antichrist. That sounds pretty judgmental. I mean, what, what John is saying is you just don't believe everything that you hear. Let me continue. We're to judge any argument that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We're to judge whether our relationships are influencing others for good or evil or the opposite back to us. Proverbs chapter 5. 
We're to judge the person who says he's a believer but is living in a way that doesn't represent Christ. In fact, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 says we should even refuse fellowship with that person until they have repented and are in alignment, alignment with Christ and his word. I mean, the bottom line is that we have to make judgments all the time about all kinds of things. In fact, you are to judge my teaching to be sure that I am of sound doctrine, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. And further, you're to judge my life to see if my character matches my teaching, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3. The Bible also tells us that we are to be discerning as to how to help those who are in need, as to not waste precious resources on those who are just pretending or not really in need as others are. 1 Timothy chapter 5, speaking of widows in the church. All this to say that we, we need to be, perhaps some of us, need to be a little bit more active in judging properly. Uh, that sometimes we do need to show up and sometimes we do need to speak up. And I just thought it was really important that we understand that the Bible does not tell us, nor is Jesus here in Matthew 7 telling us that we should not judge ever or that judgment isn't a part of the Christian life. So when you're told that by somebody, hey, Jesus said we're not to judge, they're not giving you the full truth and they're really misquoting something there. So what is Jesus saying here? If Jesus isn't saying that all judgment is wrong, what is he telling us in Matthew 7? I'm suggesting to you, here's the second big idea, is that there is a kind of judgment that is wrong. There's got to be. I mean, Jesus said right here, do not judge. Well, what kind of judgment is this? I would like to show you what I would call four nuances of the wrong kind of judgment that Jesus is condemning. Jesus is telling us that we should stop in this passage. There are four of them. And I'm going to show you them right in the text. Verse 1 begins with, notice the command, do not judge. So here's the principle. Judgment that condemns everyone and everything is wrong and needs to stop. Now I get that from the, the little phrase, do not judge, in the Greek language, me krinete, which is the Greek for basically do not judge. <laughs> you didn't really need to know that. But we get the word, from krinete, we get the word criticize or critical, the verb judge here is in the present tense imperative mood, which means that there is something continuous and incessant going on that Jesus is saying needs to stop. And what he's saying needs to stop is this criticalness that some people just sort of own and possess in the way they live their lives. The kind of judgment that Jesus is at first condemning, verse 1, is a judgment that is continuous and incessant. It's a habit of our life. Uh, we are just negative and critical about anything and everything. And some of us know people like that today. And if you can't think of anyone, um, it could be you. Um, <laughs> the point is, Jesus is saying there is a kind of judgment that we need to avoid. I was riding the BART train a couple of weeks ago and there were a couple guys sitting behind me. I never even got a look at them. But as I sat down, I just kind of by myself and I was just looking at something, reading something, and these guys start talking. And I can't give you the verbatim of the conversation, but it went something like this. The one guy asked the other guy, hey, so how's the new job going? And the guy says, oh, man, it's terrible. I'm working with a bunch of losers. That's how he started. He goes, you know, they come in late, they're lazy, they don't work hard, they're just, every single one of them, they're just a bunch of losers. And you know, the, the conversation trailed off a little bit. And the guy says, so what are you doing this weekend? The guy, oh, my wife's having some friends come in from out of town. So that conversation went in a little bit further. The guy says, well, do you like the people? The guy says, I don't really like them at all. They've been to our house before, and they're just always talking. And always, just, they just kind of barge their way. Just, just kind of putting the whole thing down. He goes, and they're from Texas, too. And he just kind of went off on Texas for about two minutes. 
and how terrible the state of Texas is. And you can believe the weather in Texas, it just goes on and on. And that conversation literally wove between three or four or five different topics. And every single point in the conversation was critical. I finally just got up and moved. I, I couldn't concentrate on <laughs> what I was doing. I just said, man, this thing is bringing me down, you know. I didn't want to look at him for fear there might be someone in my church. Anyway, I was, uh, <laughs> I, I just, this is the kind of, we all can be critical at times. And you know, this kind of attitude falls into things like, you know, you see a homeless person and you say, you say, oh, you know, get a job. You should be working. You know, you made your bed. You need to live in it kind of thing. I told you the story a few months ago. I was up at Safeway and there was a, a little family there and they needed help and it kind of tugged my heart and uh, I first drove out of the parking lot and then the Lord kind of brought me back around and parked. I'd come up and talk to them and, and I, I gave them a little help and as we were conversing and I was sharing with them some resources that I knew of, there were people driving by and it was so, I'm so glad I went back just for this very moment, for this moment because as people drove by, there was one of two responses. Some people saying, God bless you, we'll pray for you. Some people would just hand money out of the car as they went by and other people drove by and just said, get a job, you're block, blocking traffic. They were just mad. I just think that there are some people that are just so critical that everything they look at, it's the kind of thing is like, I know the truth, I'm right, nobody has to confuse me with any facts, I don't need any other information, I can look at something and immediately size it up, that is wrong. And Jesus says that's the kind of criticism, that's a spirit that needs to stop in people's lives. You know, some people have the gift of criticism. <laughs> and you know anybody like that? It's not a spiritual gift in the Bible, by the way, <laughs> if you think it might be. I remember a pastor telling the story of a, of a guy that was in his church, and every time he started preaching, this guy sitting right down the front just nods off, goes to sleep. And, and he told the story that, you know, week after week this was going on. It was just driving him crazy. Every time he, you know, he's, he's observing the guy now as he comes into worship. The guy's singing during the worship service. He's expressive. You know, he's talking to people. And then when he sits down, the sermon starts, boom, within two minutes he's out. <laughs> it's really bugging the pastor. So finally one Sunday, the guy comes up to him, and he's thinking in his heart, the pastor telling me the story, he's thinking in his heart, okay, I'm going to confront this guy. And the guy opens up with this. He says, hey, pastor, I'm sure you've noticed the last few weeks I've been nodding off in the sermon. And the pastor's, you know, thinking, yes, I've noticed. But no, I didn't really quite notice that. What? And the guy goes on, he says, well, I'm, I'm a cancer patient, and I'm on a new regimen of chemo, and it's just knocking me down. It's I, unless I'm actually saying words and participating, literally, I'm out within a couple of minutes. <laughs> he goes, and would you forgive me for that? Pastor, of course. <laughs> what else would I have thought? How do you think that pastor felt in that moment? You know, we, we would just think like, but all of us, we all have had these, these snap judgments where we just kind of write someone up and we think about them in a certain way. But you know, these kind of folks find their way into churches. Uh, I've heard things like this. The music is too loud. The songs are too long. The sermon is too short. No, I've never heard that before. <laughs> the drums drown out the voices. Whatever happened to the part of the service that isn't happening anymore in the service? The service is too short. The service is too long. The pastor should dress differently. The usher should be doing their job. The parking lot is a hassle. The pastor's whatever. People that have criticism. And I have a feeling that sometimes people that say, it's okay at times, we should be critical. But Jesus says a spirit of criticism, a spirit and a habit of criticism is something that needs to stop. That's what Jesus says right here in Matthew 7. 
He says this, stop this incessant, continuous, critical spirit. It comes into the church. And I know pastors that are the same way. Pastors that the church doesn't serve enough. The church doesn't give enough. The church doesn't do this enough. The church doesn't do that enough. Leaders that are critical about the people that come to the church. So it happens in the church. But also happens in the home too, doesn't it? There can be a spirit of criticism that can destroy the home. Uh, wives that are critical of their husbands, husbands that are critical of the wives. Let's put a couple of verses of Proverbs up. This will bless you. Let's start with the ladies, all right? <laughs> Proverbs twenty-seven fifteen. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Isn't that a great verse? <laughs> now, now, don't nudge your wife if you're sitting next to her right now. And for those of you ladies that think that that's really unkind and, and cruel, let's just remind, that's in the word of God. But let's also look at Proverbs twenty six twenty one. A charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. You know, any, you know any men like that? Men like that destroy families. Women like this destroy families. Your home can be destroyed by a critical spirit. Everything's negative. There's never any positive. There's never any up and to the right. It's always down and to the left. And some of us know exactly what that's like. It happens in churches. It happens in homes. It happens in jobs. That guy that was on the BART train, I'll bet you anything he's not working there anymore. Probably not because he quit, but because someone came along and said, man, you are toxic. You are so negative. You're out of here or whatever. There are people I know that can't keep jobs because as soon as they get into a job, they become super critical of what they see around. There's always something wrong with everybody else that's going on. They're always pointing the finger at this and that, and they can't figure out why they can't keep a job. I know people that are very lonely and they don't have many relationships and as you get to know them, you find out that they're so critical of people. They're always got a spirit of criticism, always complaining about something and criticizing somebody for something. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. There's a spirit of criticism that is, that is killing us, killing churches, killing families, killing relationships, killing opportunities. And Jesus says that's got to stop. A second nuance that we see in this comes in verse 2. Judgment that condemns another when struggling with the same issue is wrong and needs to stop. Look at verse 2. For in the same way you judge others, Jesus said, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, there's a big part of this I'm going to come back to in a couple minutes near the end of the sermon. Uh, But but what Jesus is saying is here, if, if, if in the former nuance, the person says, I'm right and everyone else is wrong, then this person's attitude goes something like this. I'm struggling with the same thing you're struggling with, but instead of being honest and telling you that I might encourage you in your struggle, that you might improve and become more what Christ wants you to be, I'm just going to bring up your struggle and I'm not going to admit to my struggle. That's wrong. Jesus said that's wrong and that needs to stop. It's like the alcoholic who is always railing against alcoholics. Or pick the topic. I'm doing this too, but you should stop because you're doing it. The scripture points out this fallacy and and judgmentalism which comes to us, for example, in the book of Romans, Romans 2. We'll put this on the screen. Uh, Just let's stay in Matthew 7. But in Romans 2, in the context, Romans 1 is all about the depravity of man and the Gentile world is all under condemnation. And Paul then directs his his words to the Jews that are reading this letter and he says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the what? Same things. Now in a real sense, because we're all sinners, there's really, 
in that sense, we can't really be too harsh or judgmental toward others because we're all sinners. We all fall down, right? It's like when we drive our car. You ever see somebody doing something in their car that you really exas- just exacerbates you, makes you mad? And you say, where's a policeman when you need him, you know? But then when you do something wrong, how are you with yourself? Do you say, where's a cop? I need a cop to pull me over right now. <laughs> you don't do that. You are so lenient on yourself. You say, oh, God, I can't believe it. I went through a red light. She almost killed that guy. Oh, man. Oh, gee. You know, we're just so, same, cell phone. People are just mad. I, I ride a motorcycle, and so when I see people on their cell phones and I ride by on, the, in, on my motorcycle and they're looking at their cell phone on the freeway, I kind of look at them a little bit. Maybe get a little eye contact there just to kind of say, don't kill me. You know, that kind of thing. But, but when I'm in the car and I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden my phone goes bing and I, I know I'm getting a text and if the traffic looks okay, I'll pick up my phone and look at that. Now, how do I treat myself in that moment when I kind of fall in that moment? Do I say, oh, I can't throw my cell phone down on the ground? No, I'm really lenient toward myself. I go, oh, gee, I shouldn't do that. I put my phone back down. But I'm okay. You know, that's, we are so lenient with our own stuff. But the same stuff that we do that we see in others, and by the way, that's usually where we're most upset. We see the things that remind us of ourselves. This works in families. It works in working relationships. The things that we are bugged about ourselves, we project when we see it on somebody else and we just go after them. What? We're really punishing ourselves, but they're taking the brunt of it. Some of us are in relationships where we know that's happening. So there's this caustic, critical, incessant kind of judgment, and there's a kind of judgment that hides the fact that we're struggling with the same thing or the same kinds of things, and that's a biggie. Jesus says if that's the kind of judgment, it needs to stop. There's a third nuance here in verses three through five, and this is where we get to the crux of the matter, and that is here the judgment that that condemns others without first really examining ourselves. This isn't the I'm right and everyone else is wrong kind of judgment, nor is it the I'm struggling, but instead of telling you about my struggle, I'll just condemn your struggle. That's not it. This one goes like this. I'm struggling with some things, but you're struggling with some things too. Let's focus on you. This is a person who just simply doesn't really look at their own life. We're not saying we're perfect, but whoa, man, you've got some problems. That's the kind of attitude. Um, we, are, we are incredibly great at seeing the sins of others more clearly than we see the sins of ourselves. Um, this happens in marriages. I know marriages, boilerplate marriage problems. He's not listening to me. She's not listening to me. The problem is all with the other person. We're very good at discerning where the problem is when it's really not any look at ourselves or we're not looking at ourselves. It might be that you're sitting here in the sermon this morning and you're thinking, Wow, I wish so-and-so were here to hear this. <laughs> okay, that's a, a little example. Like, you're not thinking this is about you at all. You're just thinking about someone else that needs to hear this in their own life. Um, and this might be the posture that some of us have. So Jesus, look at verses three through five. Jesus uses this thing called hyperbole, which is a, an exaggeration for the, in, in order to make a point. And so he exaggerates this, you know, this particle, this sliver, this speck in one person's eye and this plank in another person's eye. Have you ever had something in your eye before? This is very real. This is something that we all have. Have you ever had 
and you think, wow, well, something's in my eye. And so you ask somebody that you trust, would you look in my eye to see if you can see what's in there? And you pull your eyelid down a little bit and they look inside. Oh, I don't see anything. And you feel like you got a boulder in your eye. There's something in there that's great. There's something that's really tough to, to blink your eye with. Now, what if, what if you came to me with that? I'm just going to do a little illustration here. And you said, I've got this thing in my eye, and I, <laughs> I came to you, and I said, I can help you with getting the speck out of your eye. <laughs> now, what's humorous about this is, is one, I have a steel eye beam coming out of my eye. But what Jesus is saying is, he's actually using uh, the term, the Greek term means roof joist, or plank. It, they didn't have telephone poles in Jesus' day, but if they did, it, it could have also been used. Jesus is exaggerating. He's saying, he's saying you, you are so good at going after this little speck, but what you forget is that you actually have an eye beam, a plank in your eye. So if I came up to you and I said, hey, I, I can tell you're struggling with something. You've got a little speck. Um, let me help you. <laughs> you would go, what? You would say, I'm not going to let you get near my eye. And that's the problem. We are coming to people with sin in their lives, perhaps. Things that need to be confronted, perhaps. Things that are wrong, perhaps. And we see our sin as nothing. And we're going to help them. And Jesus says, wait a minute, no, no, no. The only, way, the only way you're going to help somebody with the sin in their life is that if you see that your sin is way more egregious, let that sink in for just a minute, way more egregious, your sin is greater than the sin you're about to confront. And it is true, isn't it? Is it not? That our sin when the Apostle Paul looked at his life, he said, I am the what? The worst of sinners. He, the only way we can ever be of help to anybody who's involved in sin is if they think and see that we have, there's a humility about us that doesn't come with a sense of, I'm better than you. I've, that's something I don't deal with anymore in my life. Come on. We come to the people in humility. We come to situations in humility. Wow. Remember John chapter 8? The woman caught in adultery. Well, she wasn't really caught. It was a setup. The Pharisees drug her out before Jesus just so that he could condemn her publicly and put himself in trouble with the law of Moses or with the popular vote of the people that saw him as a compassionate, merciful God, rabbi, Messiah. And so he gets down on his knees, the Bible says, and he begins scribbling in the sand. We don't really know what he wrote. But as he looks up at the, at the accusers, he says, how about this? How about the person that has, has not sinned or has sinned the least cast the first stone? And one by one, the Bible text says they all dropped their stones and went away. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. When you see your own sin greater than the sin than the person you're going to confront, you may have a voice. You might have an inroad to help that person. And that will be an exchange that will be beautiful. It will be humbling. It will be gracious. There will be a sense of this person loves me. They're not condemning me. 
And with all the social issues that are around us and every moral issue that is swarming around the church and around our culture, listen, we are known for being people that are, that are judgmental in our attitudes instead of being humble and recognizing that we are the greatest sinners. And if we're to confront an issue in our culture or confront a sin in somebody's life, there should be such amazing humility in our lives that people do not feel threatened, do not put, feel put down, but they feel like we are fellow strugglers with them and they may just listen. I want to suggest us to have a careful look at that. One last thing, our time is quickly going away here. Uh, there's fourthly a judgment that condemns carelessly um, and without discernment. And that's where we find that in verse 6 where Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is sacred or throw your pearls to swine. Um, this is in the context of judgment. So what is what's sacred? What is what, what is pearls? I'll tell you what it is. It's, it's recognizing a person's receptivity. You may have something so important and so valuable and so true to tell somebody, but if they're not receptive, if they're not open, if there's not a spirit of, I'm ready to hear this, you just might be jumped in the process. And what Jesus is saying is, be careful, just show discernment. Maybe it's the right thing said, but not today. Maybe you need a little bit more chips of trust and integrity in your relationship with this person before you confront this sin in their life or the, the sin issue that they're holding on to. And if not, you're throwing pearls before swine. You're taking what is sacred and you're casting it out only to have it turn back around on you. And in fact, so much so uh, that you're going to maybe suffer for it uh, needlessly. Um, I've written down in your notes Proverbs 1, 20 through 33. There's a lot in there. We don't have time to go there, but I'll give you a couple other references. Those of you taking notes, uh, Proverbs 9, 7, and 8, Proverbs 13, 1, Proverbs 15, 31, 9, 7, and 8, 15, 13, 1, 15, 31, also 17, 10. All those Proverbs deal with how the fool rejects rebuke, but the wise person receives rebuke. And you've got to figure out who you're talking to. Is this person wise? Is, are they leaning in? Are they wanting to learn? Or are they a fool who would just spurn rebuke? And they're not ready yet. They're not in a place or a posture of receptivity. And that's what Jesus is saying here. So the kind of judgment that is wrong is first a judgment that is just critical, hypercritical on everything. A second kind of judgment that is wrong that needs to stop is a, a hypocritical judgment where I'm doing the same thing but I'm approaching you with the stuff in your life. Or the third judgment that is wrong that needs to stop is when we don't see the gravity of our own sin and we just lay out people's lives with the sin that they have. And the fourth kind is that we're not, we're not discerning or careful with how a person's receptivity will be to what we're about to say. And Jesus says all those four kinds of judgment need to stop. Wow. Is he saying all judgment is wrong? Nope. Is he saying that there's, there's, not a, there's a time and a place to say truth and to speak truth and to stand on what you believe? Absolutely so. And the Bible would commend that all the way through. But these four kinds of judgment, they need to stop. Now, why is this important? Quickly, two reasons. Number one, if we choose any kind of judgment, right or wrong, we can expect the same in return. This is so practical. This goes back to the end of verse two. With the measure you choose, it will be measured to you. You complain about your neighbor's parking, what are they gonna look at? How you park. You complain about your work, co-worker's work ethic, you know what they're gonna look at? Your work ethic. You complain about somebody's words, they're gonna listen to your words. 
You complain about this? People, you, you dial into people to become super scrut- uh, demonstrate super scrutiny over your life and the very thing that you bring to theirs. So Jesus says, be careful. Get this right because you invite all kinds of scrutiny into your life that you may not appreciate in the long run. And secondly, God's judgment, God is the righteous judge and everyone one day will give an account to him. Oh, there's more there. You've got the little fill-ins. You've got the, the words on the back of your outline there, so I won't give them to you. But, but the reason why you've got to get this right is because there is a judgment that's coming. And in fact, it's already come. Jesus came, was our substitute for sin so that we could have eternal life. In fact, this morning, we're going to rehearse the remembrance of Jesus being our substitute for sin. And it ought to just put into focus once again why we should be humble in our approach to people and situations where we feel like we need to confront. Jesus Christ is our sin substitute. Judgment has come when God sent his son Jesus into the world. But there's also another judgment coming, not for believers, but for those who are not yet saved, those who have not given their lives to Jesus Christ. And one day every person will stand before God and give account of his life And if the Lord brought you to this service this morning, this is a good time right now to say, am I right with God? Have I made my peace with God? Have I repented of my sin and come after to follow Jesus in faith? I want to invite you to do that right now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.